January 21, 2017, over 5 million people around the world participated in the Women's March, making it one of the largest human protests in history. One of the symbols from the march became known as the Knitted Pussy Hat, and was the result of a collaboration between Kat Coyle, Krista Saw, and Janice Wyman. Their act of protest is part of a larger movement known as craftivism. On this episode of the Media and Social Change podcast, we'll examine what happens when craft meets activism. MassCollab is a hub for multimodal and digital scholarship that explores the relationship between media and our changing society. We support, curate, and create media intended to spark dialogue and social change and the development of pedagogy that uses media to foster civic engagement. MassLab is located in the Communication, Media, and Learning Technology Design Program at Teachers College, Columbia University. I'm speaking with Sandra Marcus today, who is a doctoral candidate in the Communication, Media, and Learning Technologies Design Program here at Teachers College. She also serves as a professor of fashion design at the Fashion Institute of Technology in New York. I think craftivism has its own unique place. So the term originated with Betsy Greer. It's a portmanteau, so it's the merging of the words craft and activism. And if I had to define it, I think craftivism is using creativity through craft to bring change or attention to political and social issues. I think we're seeing with the use of social media that it's creating the affordances for new types of activism. Um, also, people talk about Sarah Corbett, who's a very well-known um, craftivist, talks about um, gentle protest, and it's really a different form of gentle protest. Don't let the word gentle fool you. Sometimes this gentle protest takes place under brutal circumstances. The suffragettes in, in Britain, when they were imprisoned in 1912 in um, Holloway Prison, um, they actually embroidered, the guards allowed them to embroider while they were incarcerated, and they embroidered, um, they embroidered really a legacy to what had gone on. They documented everyone who had been imprisoned, they documented the trial, um, and these, um, many of the needlework, because they were for many reasons, but one of the reasons because they were women's work, were not kept as important, so they don't exist. But in particular, there's this one embroiderer, Janine Torero, whose um, embroidery about her incarceration during that time still exists in the Museum of London. And um, it really has created a legacy about what happened during the suffragette movement and the fact that they were imprisoned. And it was done right under the noses of the guards. If you would like to see the last remaining needlework by suffragette Janie Torero, there is a link on the Mask Lab website to its Museum of London home. As it did for Torero, craftivism appeals to people who wouldn't otherwise have the opportunity to protest or wouldn't consider themselves activists. I think I think there's two issues here. There is a generational passing down of knowledge. There is a sort of apprenticeship model um, of learning some of these skills, but when I talk about gen the generational aspect of it, is when we think of participatory culture and we think of participatory politics, we think of youth. That is our traditional population. We think of um, youth 
harnessing social media to get out their message. And what I'm seeing is I'm seeing middle-aged women with bad knees who are getting out the message. Mm -hmm. um, and it is a new population that, it's that overlooked population that um, is really creating some change. Uh, you know, we have political clout, we, we vote. Um, and I think we are um, asking our sisters to, um, you know, think about what needs to change and, and, and vote to support those changes. One of the things that emerged in the pilot study, which I was not expecting, which is now a focus in the dissertation, is this issue of intergenerational um, and generational aspects of craftivism. And looking at participatory culture and participatory politics and um, craftivism and what are the demographics of craftivism and how this generational um, component impacts participatory culture, which again is, is that's never, we never think, we never talk about participatory politics in terms of older women. We talk about it in terms of youth. A craftivist group from Virginia is using social media to broaden the impact of their activism. They call it the Kudzu Project, named after the fast-growing weed that blankets entire landscapes throughout the South. The Kudzu Project is a little different because I really conceptualize that as yarn bombing. And so there's flash installations of the Kudzu Project. Um, originally, they did try to leave the kudzu vines up. You know, they, they knit them, they attach them to netting, and then they throw them over the Confederate statues, and except that they were um, taken down by authorities and obviously destroyed. There's a tremendous amount of labor in them, so they really decided to do it as flash installations, where they would do it during the night, photograph them, and take them down. In other words, the Kudzu Project realized that social media can help them circulate their message more broadly. Well, I, I, I think what their aim is, is really to have the Confederate statues taken down, and they're beginning to achieve that. So it's not necessarily about the yarn bombing per se, but about the conversations that it provokes. Part of this gentle activism is not to radically change things, but to ask people to think deeply about an issue and perhaps come to a different um, point in their perspective. Besides helping spread the images and convene this kind of conversation, social media also plays a part in helping craftivists organize. Marcus says, Facebook is an important tool, but so too is Ravelry.com. Ravelry is a website dedicated to crafts like knitting or crocheting, for instance. But not everyone on the website considers themselves craftivists. In Ravelry, there is no vetting process. So the conversations are much more unfiltered in Ravelry. And we see that um, one of the craftivists had made, it's called the Protest Patriotic Shawl. And it um, garnered hundreds and hundreds of comments. So when I was going through all the comments on Ravelry, you could see that clearly the left was using this as um, an artifact to represent their position, and so was the right. 
um, you know, the flag is controversial, um, and the conversations were really very heated. So that was particularly interesting to me. Um, on Facebook, when you look through the craftivists, the various craftivist groups, and there are quite a lot of them on Facebook, um, and when I say a lot, I mean a dozen, or, you know, they're not hundreds of different groups. Um, you're really seeing a very select conversation happening. So I'm looking at a number of different things. I'm looking at the relationship between activism, craftivism, and feminism. Um, I'm also looking at how new um, media, the relationship in particular between new media and craftivism. So I was a member of Ravelry long before I think I went to graduate school. Um, I am a knitter. Um, I wouldn't say I'm a really serious knitter. I, I really love knitting. Um, it's not what I teach. It's really more of a personal passion of mine. So I am involved in that world um, for my own interests. Um, I looked at a craftivist group. Um, they're located in Westchester. One of the things that was very interesting about them was that they had an offline and online presence. So I've been attending, their first meeting was April of um, 2017. So I've been attending, I think I've attended every face-to-face -face meeting except for one. And, um, and they have a very strong online presence in Ravelry, in Facebook, and on their website, and on Instagram, but Instagram's a little less interesting to me. Um, so I looked at the community, I looked at their Facebook presence, I looked at their Instagram presence, um, and interviewed their founder, and, um, and attended meetings, so I was gathering information there. And obviously they agreed, the people who were in the face-to-face -face meetings agreed to the research. I mean, the thing about social media is that you're looking at text-based analysis, you're looking at visual analysis, um, you're looking at, obviously, discourse analysis. So there are different kinds of um, things. You're looking at, um, you know, the use of emojis. It's pretty diverse what you're looking at in online um, spaces. Probably the most famous example of craftivism mentioned earlier is the Pussy Hat and the Women's March in January 2017. These online channels were instrumental for rapidly orchestrating the huge turnout. Well, the Pussy Hat Project was, is an interesting project on many levels. Um, it was really the first time, um, it was, you know, there were two founders. There was Krista Sue and Jana Zweiman who conceptualized this. So it, they started the idea around um, Thanksgiving of 2016. Post just post the election, and between that day and January twenty first at the Women's March, so it was roughly six weeks, they built a really a global movement um, around the Women's March and using the pussy hat as a visual sign of the march. I mean, the thing that's so amazing about it is how quickly that movement built and how quickly the activism um, rallied really around the world. So, so the Pussy Hat is a very interesting project. 
the pussy hat was criticized for for many issues. Um, the the issue of um, pink was brought up that not all women's vaginas are pink. Not all women have vaginas. So the trans movement criticized it. Um, it was criticized um, by um, black and Latina women for not being inclusive. And it, it clearly is an issue. Um, I think the movement is trying to work towards being more inclusive. I think it is an ongoing issue. So what we see in a lot of these craftivist movements and meetings, we see a lot of informal learning and going along with, it could be learning about knitting, but it's always learning about knitting, about doing a craftivist project and about gaining political knowledge. So those meetings always involve um, perhaps politicians coming to speak, perhaps um, learning how to use media. I went to a craftivist media where somebody came and talked about the use of Twitter, of being able to get out the message. Um, one craftivist meeting was manning phone banks to get out the vote for a Democratic candidate in Westchester. Um, so it's, it, it is a huge, it's not just about knitting. I really see what the pussy hat sparked and I think it sparked a lot of movements. I don't think the Me Too movement would have, would have happened without the pussy hat um, coming right before it. I think what it has catalyzed is we see a tremendous amount of women um, running for office. I think that's the fundamental um, change that we need to see. We want to thank Sandra Marcus for sharing her research with us at MassLab. You can find more information about what was discussed today by visiting our website, masklab.org, or you can send us an email at masklab.tc.columbia.edu or a tweet at MassLab and let us know what you thought of this episode. You can also find out more about our collective of researcher practitioners at masklab.org, including regular blog posts, news about upcoming screenings and other events, and links to other media and research. Our theme music is Kelp Grooves by Little Glass Men, published under a Creative Commons attribution license at freemusic.archive.org. This episode was produced and edited by myself, Elise Blake, Kyle Oliver, Joseph Rena Ferry, and Lilitha Vasudevan. We hope to hear from you.